Welcome to the second session or the webinar, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I have someone special with me over here today, uh, all the way from the entertainment capital in the world. She has worked as a production designer and a researcher in some major Hollywood movies, uh, ranging from titles like uh, Star Trek Beyond to Tomorrowland to Godzilla and her latest uh, production, what she's working on right now, happens to be the next Marvel Studios project, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Whitney, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Cool. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about what production design is, basically just uh, in simple words, and how, how is it, how important is it to the filmmaking process? Um, production design is basically everything that you see in front of the camera that isn't an actor. So that's a lot. Or as people, mm -hmm. as some people say, it's all the blurry stuff in the background behind the people. Um, <laughs> so, um, I mean, if you think of your favorite movies that you like love and care about passionately, you probably love it because of the environment and the world that it is set in. Um, you think of a superhero that you love. If you think of like Lord of the Rings, you're immersed in these other worlds and that's part of why you love them because yes, you're on this journey with these characters, but also really getting to kind of experience their world in that way is something that we really attach to and most people don't even realize. Um, and if you think about like, if you didn't see all these amazing sets and props and things like that, like, would you even, would you have watched it? Would you have cared that much? You know? So production design is really important. Um, my, my design boss that I work for a lot as a researcher, um, Scott Chambliss, he um, said something a couple weeks ago, we were talking about things and he said that one of his teachers very early on said that design is always a metaphor for the story. It's a visual mm -hmm. metaphor. It'll never be the story because story is the words on paper, but design should always be representing who the character is, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what, you know, is happening in the story in that situation in that moment. Design is always expressing that in some form or fashion. It doesn't have to be always that in depth of thought, but the people behind the camera are putting that much thought into it because unconscious or subconsciously we understand that as humans. We'll take that in and it, helps express the story even more amazingly than not, so. Exactly. I think it's more about, you know, expressing the story, like you said, uh, the visual side of the story on screen. Because uh, if you have a period piece and the production design or the sets around you don't really reflect that time period, uh, it's gonna, you know, that's not, that's not gonna be any realism in it. So I think most of this just, it's, it's there to sell, uh, sell uh, the magic that's being told through the story as well. It's all about believability and authenticity. It doesn't mean it has to be historically accurate, but it needs mm. to be authentic to what you are trying to say. Exactly, yeah. 
And uh, so when it comes to you know, this production design process, how do you start? So I'm assuming that you get the screenplay first from, uh, I don't know, the studio or whoever, you know, whoever hires you guys. How do you work your way upwards from the screenplay if that is the process? Um, yes, sometimes there's a script and sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's just outlines. So we mm -hmm. kind of, we don't need to know like all the story basics. We need to know like kind of where it's supposed to be setting. Cause then, um, then we start doing research, which is often what I'm doing. Um, coming up with ideas of how things could look, the direction we want to take things. And the designer often has a lot of those thoughts already in their head. And um, we are just trying to find visuals to help express that to people who yeah. are like non-visual people. Um, we do it for our own department, but also for directors and producers for them to understand what things might look like until we get like concept illustration stuff done. So, um, so research is a super big, important part of it. Um, of any project that you're doing, you should be learning and figuring out and um, absorbing as much as you can to understand the world of that you're gonna be telling the story in. Um, then it usually moves to concept art, um, on bigger projects anyway. There's concept artists and they're taking all that research and putting it into drawings and combining all the ideas into images that really start to express um, how you how we're going to take things, and then things get edited all the time, all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. At the same time, um, set designers and model makers are trying to um, put these things into three D form, see how the layout works, see if it's going to work for the action within the scene. Um, you know, the director. So that's pretty much like the pre-visualization stage, is it? Oh yeah, that is that is the essence of the art department is pre-visualization and getting it all figured out. Um, because once pieces start moving for real life production, like it's too late to do things. You know, at that yeah. point, you have have to have it kind of put together well ahead of time it takes a really long time to come up with a lot of this stuff. Art department will work for, you know, six plus months ahead of production to try and get all of this stuff put together. <laughs> Cause then you have construction, you got to build the thing sometimes, sometimes it's location. Sometimes things have to be fabricated by other people. And it's a lot of moving parts, especially on big things, but it's the same goes for smaller projects as well. You have to kind of, have enough time to get all your thoughts and get all the things together. Sure, yeah. So uh, I, I really wanna uh, talk a little bit more about the research process because you've been involved as a researcher as well on several films. So where do you start the research? Like, is it right off the internet or do you go to libraries or do you like talk to people who are, you know, who might be related to the topic at hand? How does that work? It's, it's kind of all the above. Um, more recently, I have not been going to libraries as much um, just because a lot of our topics have been like futuristic maybe, but I'm definitely still referencing mm -hmm. a lot of books. Even if it's not from a library, there's lots of design architecture books that I would be referencing from. Um, 
But for the most part, it has been internet. And then if I cannot um, find the answers that way, then I start calling people who do know, um, trying to find those people who are really passionate about this subject and like are many experts or experts. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And trying to pick their brain and they often know a lot of things like, for example, um, on Tomorrowland, we had the 1964 World's Fair as the beginning chunk of the film. Yeah. And we wanted to create as much as we could somewhat authentically. It was never gonna look exactly the same, but there's a lot of detail that we wanted to know. And eventually um, there was a watermark on a lot of photos that we were saving from the internet. And um, it was like the same guy's name. And so they look up like, who is this guy? And they um, find his info and talk to him. And he is like this um, hobbyist expert basically on the 64 World's Fair. Cause he oh, went wow. as a kid, just like loved it so much. So then um, he had so many more resources than were published online. And so we were able to talk to him and get access to like his personal collection, basically of 64 world's fair, everything. <laughs> so that That's was crazy. a really cool thing to learn and talk to somebody who was super passionate about it. Um, another random thing from Tomorrowland of research was we needed to know how, um, how they plant corn and like the spacing mm -hmm. of corn planting and yeah. like, couldn't find it. It's not something like <laughs> we'll really care about, <laughs> except for farmers. Um, and so I had to call a couple of farms in Iowa and be like, um, can you tell me, this is a really weird question, but how far apart do you space things and how like individually and then in the rows, you know, so you have to, you're learning so much random stuff all the time. And I love it. It's great. I know a whole little bit about a whole lot of random things. Um, I think that's something that's something really interesting because uh, you are constantly in the process of learning about mm -hmm. different time periods, about props, stuff like uh, quite a lot. So uh, how, how does that factor in? You know, because uh, sometimes uh, I think maybe something that you learned on a, a, a previous project could be applied to something in the future. How, do, how does that work out? Does it ever happen? Um, so far things haven't really been applied to other projects mm -hmm. because each story is different and individual. It always yeah. comes with its own new things to learn. Um, but as you continue to learn and find more resources and learn who to talk to, or, you know, this like bookstore has like really great resources or this library, you, it just like compounds, um, all for like future sure. projects for you to learn mm -hmm. faster and maybe know um, some more basics by the time you get to that project, you know, like learning architecture history, that's kind of important um, for production design. And so over the years, my knowledge of things has gotten, has like been refined constantly, you know? And so the same goes mm -hmm. for any topic really. It eventually just gets more and more refined um that's, so, that's amazing yeah. and then with like futuristic style projects 
um, mm. the, there's, that doesn't exist. So then you're just trying to find research pieces that really speak to um, the style that you want it to be. So sometimes it's all about like the line of a photo, like all these lines you are like, I really love this and would love to incorporate mm -hmm. this line movement into the set or the colors or, you know, these pipes and how they're laid out. That is awesome. You know, so yeah. just, you're just always harvesting ideas. How much creative liberty do you guys take? I mean, uh, let's say you don't necessarily have references if you are doing something like a sci-fi uh, project, which is uh, which requires futuristic design, or uh, let's say let's just take uh, something like the, the most recent project you're working on, uh, Shang Chi, which is uh, I mean I'm pretty sure it's going to draw on Oriental uh, history in various forms. But how much creative freedom do you guys get? Hmm. Um, I think there is a lot of creative freedom at the initial beginning stages because we're mm -hmm. just experimenting. We're like, yes, we like this thought. Let's marry it with this thought into the design. Um, but then it always, it usually comes down to what the production designer is really liking. It comes down to what the director wants and their vision. Um, and then sometimes it comes down to like producers being like, that's too crazy. We can't afford it. So let's like scale it back. So, um, so yeah, usually the director, producer, production designer has a conversation at the beginning of where they want it to go. So there is some creative liberties within maybe these, mm -hmm. um, these guidelines, but, um, yeah, I think it's, just depends on the team and what they want to achieve with it. But I think there is a lot of creative liberties because you can find the inspiration from literally anywhere. That's cool. I'm uh, just going to uh, direct your attention back to what you said at the initial stage. So production design you mentioned is pretty much everything that you see on screen. And, yeah. uh, you know, you have all these various departments. So how, uh, how collaborative is it? How collaborative is the process with perhaps the, the costume, de uh, costume design department, the uh, uh, maybe the concept thought you said concept art is definitely going to feed into your production design. Uh, maybe uh, cinematography, uh, camera. How, how, how do all these factor in? Um, so cinematography is the bigger factor whenever mm -hmm. with production design in the art department, um, because if they can't achieve the coverage of the action within the set that we are creating, then that kind of defeats the purpose. So um, a lot of times they, they come in in like little tiny bits. Sometimes they come a little bit later, um, but that is definitely outside of director producer, the most collaborative department with um, the art department. Cause then they also have to know like, okay, if this is how it's going to look, how am I going to light this set? How am I going to, you know, can I do a dolly shot? Can I, yeah. do I just fix, you know? So, so we're always designing for camera. Basically we're always trying to make sure that you see what you need to see and the people have the action that they need. Um, so yeah, it's always designed for camera. It's always designed for 360 movement. Um, costume department 
um, they, there is collaboration, but it's not as like significant. Um, mm -hmm. It's more, usually they're coming on like a little bit later than art department. So um, they need to know what things are gonna look like so that they can put the actors in something either complimentary or contrasty or, you know, so they are, so they're making their decisions based on what our department is creating as well. But also all these people, all the heads of department are working together to make this happen. It's not, it's not so collaborative that we're over each other's shoulder all the time, but it's not so separate that no one talks mm -hmm. to each other. It's, it's very synergetic. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's brilliant. Uh, so my next question is about, uh, you know, whenever you do research, you try to weave the story or all, all, all those details into uh, the story. So something that we spoke about uh, last year, I think it was last year or the, the year before at Comic-Con was, uh, I was, I remember I was pestering you for details about uh, Godzilla, King of the Monster. I'm still mad at you for not telling me the plot, but then again, watching the movie made it worth it. So uh, okay. I remember how you were telling me, yeah, <laughs> I remember how you were telling me about, you know, uh, when, uh, the research that you guys did for uh, Monarch and uh, the, this organization in the film and for the Kaijus, how, how you kind of integrated them into the world of the story. Like you borrowed quite a lot from already existing mythologies. How, how did that take place? Um. All of that came from Scott Chambliss, who was the production designer. Um, mm -hmm. He's very smart and creative, and he um, he just like knows so much, and it's amazing. Um, but he gave me and Angela, the other researcher, um, these assignments of researching mythology throughout the world. You know, um, not just how it's described in story, but visually like mm -hmm. you know, medieval tapestries, um, all these ancient artwork, just really compiling the best of mythology from around the world. Um, and how, and seeing patterns of how things are expressed. Um, we did a lot of like temple research, um, various temples of various religions and cultures all over the world um, to take all of like the bits and pieces that he felt really would help describe um, the world that the Kaiju come from, you know, that, mm. that they were potentially things that they were um, creatures who were worshiped potentially, you know, so each of them has their own specific culture and place that they were the gods of, you know, Mothra has yeah. her temple, Godzilla has his lair. Um, at least that's what we were, that's what we were referring to in describing all the different sets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was just learning and finding all of these different ideas and taking all these different pieces from them to create something for each of the monsters specifically. Um, and there's something I was going to say. Oh, with Monarch specifically, yeah. um, he, because they are a global corporation, mm -hmm. um, wanted to make sure that you knew we were in a Monarch setting 
no matter where we were. So right. there needs a similarity in the design so that even when it's plugged into an ancient temple, even when it's plugged into an ice cavern, that like, you know, that monarch is part of this. Um, mm -hmm. So add, um, you know, like a mood board kind of, of the design elements that he wanted for monarch. And so that became the Bible for what monarch looks like. And if it, wow. you know, if you were ever stuck, you can go back and look at these things and like, okay, what, what's the common factor in all these images, you know? So. Wow. That, that's, that's crazy. So I, I want to just, uh, you know, talk a little bit about this one particular scene because I, I love that movie so much. Uh, I'm a Godzilla fan. You know, you know, you know this. Yeah. Uh, that's that scene where Godzilla uh, kind of retires and retires. He's forced to go un underwater to his to his lair, and mm -hmm. that was all visual effects. Or did you like? I mean, I I'm assuming it was visual effects. Uh, yeah. So I'm assuming you know that, that like there's no there's no physical sets that are actually built. So whatever you guys did was directly fit into the visual effects department, correct? Yeah, yeah. It has to be created and thought of ahead of time in the art department because then mm -hmm. later it gets passed on to visual effects to create. Or if it is green screened, you know they have the whole world. We have to wow. come up with that. That doesn't. They, they, um, they don't, they're not the ones to come up with it. It has to be us first. So even if it's something that doesn't get touched for like nine months down the road, we still have to think about it ahead of time because eventually they will need all that information. That's crazy. So, uh, does it ever bother you, you know, uh, whenever you, you put so much thought, research and you try to merge all of that seamlessly into a story, does it ever bother you that it's going to go unnoticed for the, for, the, for the most part by the audience. Does it ever bother you? Does it keep you awake at night? Sometimes it does. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it does. Um, I think the thing that's most frustrating for me is when, and I think it comes down to cinematographers a little bit, nothing against mm -hmm. them. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that sometimes they don't allow space to breathe visually Sometimes they are just so focused on like, what is happening in this person's face? I need to see yeah. this. When, when you don't understand where they are, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, what does it even matter? <laughs> so I hate it when like mm -hmm. wide shots sometimes aren't even shot. Like that just astounds me. Cause it's like, why did we even bother to have a set? If you're just gonna do close-ups mm -hmm. against a black wall because that would have saved us a ton of time and money. And it's like, we can do that if that's what you want. But um, I, I really just hate it when you don't know where you are or in relation to things. It's nice to see all of that. That's part of the experience yeah. is being in a different world. So if you want to shoot close-ups all the time, let me know ahead of time. I will save myself <laughs> of losing my life over getting something put together. So I would encourage cinematographers to um, incorporate the environment more. Like it will be more mm. impressive when you can see more than just a person's face. That, that but makes, that makes a lot of sense. The detail is important to believability, to authenticity. So, you know, 
it doesn't matter that every little thing isn't shot, but the environment, the ambiance, yeah, the, like that matters. All those I mean, there is a reason why uh, the Academy Awards they recognize production design itself as a separate category. So, it goes to show how important it is. So, I, I get yeah. your reasoning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they always <laughs> say, you know, it's good production design when nobody noticed, but it's bad production design when people are like, oh, what? what there's something weird about. <laughs> broom like why do i see seams in the walls you know so like yeah, yeah. notice you don't notice it until you do and you're like oh they did a terrible job <laughs> so that's a little catch 22 a little bit mm. well, yeah, totally and uh so from the films that you've done which film do you think best uh navigates you know the best of both worlds while while showing you know the production design it balances out and shows you the, the human expressions and the story, everything. Which film do you think the one that, from the ones that you've worked on? Hmm. Um, my instinct is to say Tomorrowland. That mm -hmm. was kind of my first big one. So that, yeah. that movie has a really special place in my heart um, because most of the people that I continue to work for, I met on that film. It was my first thing out of grad school. Um, I worked on it for so long, but um, I feel like you did get to see enough of the sets and all the work mm -hmm. and effort that went into it, but also the sets were really important parts of the action as well. It was never, it was never about, you know, super dramatic close-ups all this time. It's, it really is to see these very different worlds to see where they came from, where they are now, what things could like and look like in the future if Tomorrowland doesn't change and things like that. So I think it does a really great job of seeing the world and experiencing it sure. a little bit. Nice. And it was amazing to see this concept art, like literally look the same in real life. That was my first time seeing something so detailed and thought of ahead of time be real. And it was mind blowing. Yeah. I was like, it literally looks like the illustrations that these people have drawn. I can't even believe this. This is amazing. That's, that's so cool. So just to add to that a little bit, like what's your, uh, what's your reaction? Like when you, you know, finally see the movie after it's shot done, like product post-production has completed, like you, you, it probably takes maximum around a year and a half and, uh, in this case, even longer with the situation as at hand. Uh, how, like, what's your reaction like, you know, seeing all that hard work on screen or sometimes not? <laughs> <laughs> um, on these bigger projects, I'm not usually part of actually filming them. I'm usually just mm -hmm. there for pre-production. So I was like never on set. So it's cool to be like, oh, is this how it like actually turned out? You know, so that gets really exciting. Um, and sometimes because it takes so long for projects to finish and come out to the public, by the time it does, I'm like, why is that? Oh, this is new. <laughs> like, I forgot this is new to everybody else, even though it's like three years old me. So sometimes that gets a little funny. Um, but it is exciting to see the finished product because I only see it, you know, in the beginning stages. I, I know what it looks like on paper. I know what it looks like. Um, I know what the plans look like. I know what the art looks like, but I never get to see it realized often in person. Um, so it is fun 
to see how things turned out and see how the cinematographer decided to shoot and light things. And it's hard to go in with a very objective view because I know mm -hmm. so much about it. But yeah. um, I try to not let that happen for any other movies that I ever watch. I try not to analyze too much because um, then that sucks the joy out of watching movies and making movies. So, but for the ones that I am very involved in, I can't separate it too much. I have to be like, okay, yes. Oh, I remember, I remember when we did that in the office and you know, oh, there's that piece of research that like kind of, you know, was really influential and stuff like that. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. It's, it's always amazing to see the end product. So it's, it's kind of like you're delaying the gratification and finally you see it on the big screen. It's, it's an experience in itself, I guess. Yes, absolutely yeah. it is. So, uh, I mean, most of these films that you've done, uh, they've been big budget and you worked on some independent projects as well. So, oh, yeah. uh, I mean, the studio projects, they definitely spend millions on their production design. But when it comes to independent projects, they don't necessarily have the same budget or the resources to pull things off. So what advice would you give independent filmmakers when it comes to portraying their story visually through production design? How can they find that? Balance. Yep. Um, I am still very much in both worlds. I am in somewhat big budget world, but I also like if I'm actual production designer, I'm in tiny little budget world. <laughs> so I, I know both ends of the things. Um, but the biggest things that can help are locations, locations that are already really great. Um, if there's any chance to film like that obviously will help a lot. You're not trying to build something. Um, mm -hmm. And then sometimes as a production designer, you can bring some of your own things in that aren't going to alter physically the location. You know, if you change out the rugs and the furnishings, then yes, you're like making it your own, but um, locations is a lifesaver. <laughs> um, yeah. And treating those locations that you do have with, respect is also very important um whether you're paying for to be there or not you always need to respect other people's spaces um yeah. another thing is um just borrowing <laughs> <laughs> i can't even tell you how much stuff i borrow from people and and again because i treat things very well like mm -hmm. i don't let them get trashed on set i make sure the crew is respectable of things, you know, that this belongs to somebody else who actually really cares about it. This is not just, you know, something I bought and we can trash. That's its own separate thing. But, um, but yeah, so borrowing is a big thing. Again, talking to people who are really passionate about the subject maybe, um, is also very helpful. Um, I was able to borrow, um, some vintage cameras from a guy's personal collection for my um, my AFI thesis film, which was about the Wright brothers. So it's set in the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. um, I was, I somehow got in contact with him because he was selling some old ones that were really damaged. Anyway, he lived nearby. I went over to his house and talked to him about cameras and, you know, I, I developed a relationship and was able to, borrow some of his personal collection for the film so that can be a really big asset but it's definitely 
that takes time to develop relationships with people to find those people. Um, and, um, dumpster diving. I've done that too many times to count. (laughs) Um, I have, you know, I don't know what you guys have there, but we have like thrift stores and secondhand stores. Um, so we're always buying stuff from there for really cheap, you know, yard sales, all kinds of stuff, stuff off the street. I'm always finding stuff. So you just kind of have to use your networks and your resources as like best as you can with as little money as you have to try and deliver the best product that you can. And sometimes One it works. Man's dunk is a production designer's treasure. <laughs> oh my. I've, I've, yeah, I've lost a lot of sleep on small projects trying to help make things happen. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I care about it. I want it to look great. But also yeah. when you have like a couple hundred bucks, you're like, Ugh. also there's only so much I can do. I am not a magician as much as I look like it. I'm not a magician, which is disappointing to me, but you know. <laughs> you do all the magic that you can. Uh, yeah. So just going to uh, address the audience before we move into a few final questions. So uh, guys, if you have any questions regarding production design or any film that Whitney's worked on, uh, please do, you know, uh, feel free to uh, ask the questions. We will be jumping into a Q&A. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Whitney, uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, the future of filmmaking, this is just a question that kind of came to my head when you were talking about VFX. Uh, I've seen, you know, certain movies, they don't necessarily build sets, but they, mm-hmm. you know, try to do everything green screen or blue screen. Uh, how how does this how do you think this is gonna work out in the future because uh they've been creating some pretty photorealistic sets but does it ever beat you know building the real thing what's your stance on this um i do think that it can be really great and helpful to have um you know entirely vfx set but also you kind of do lose something in translation sometimes Mm -hmm. um sometimes having something tactile that the actor can really interact with. I mean, a lot of actors have done amazing jobs and performances with literally nothing. That's amazing. But um, I do think sometimes interacting in the space gives them more, more believability in their performance. And sometimes Mm -hmm. like kind of can't get that with visual effects. You know, it's like, I don't know. Someone smashes through a wall. It's nice to like actually react to like, oh, someone smashed through a wall rather than like, oh, someone somewhere, where am I supposed to be looking right there? Okay, that's where, you know. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I think there's definitely benefits to both, but I do think um, there is a certain kind of magic that is created when it's all real, <laughs> I mean, all yeah. of it's, to be honest, but when it's more physically real, I think it gives just so much more to it than a visual, visually created thing later. 100%, yeah. So uh, we have a question from uh, Anna. She's asking, what do you do with all the items you find? If you keep them, like, how, how is your house? <laughs> Ooh, you asked a good question. In my indie world, 
um, for a long time, I was keeping like everything because I was like, maybe I need this on another project. And so I kind of became a borderline hoarder. Um, but just to like one room, I would just keep it. It would be a hot mess. Um, thankfully, I stopped doing that about 10 years ago. Um, but I do have a lot of stuff. I do. Um, I keep a lot of like random supplies. I have tons of tape. I have tons of glue. I have tons of paint. Um, so I am trying to do better about not personally keeping a lot of things. But um, on bigger projects, usually we're borrowing, we're renting, we're paying for things. And um, I try to make sure that films can be really wasteful. And so I try to make sure that if we're going to buy this, that it has a home to go to afterwards rather than the dump. Um, Like um, a project that I, a small project I worked on in September, um, I was buying a ton of furniture from Craigslist, you know? And so um, some of the pieces, some of the crew was like, what are you doing with this afterwards? And I was like, if you want it, I will gladly give it to you because I want these beautiful things to go to good homes or they go back to thrift stores for someone else to find. Um, so I try not to be too wasteful, but there is prop houses. So if I'm renting from them, it just goes back to them and their shelves for another project to come find. So, um, so yeah, I try not to keep too many things anymore. <laughs> During quarantine, I'm trying to declutter my house. So that is really a- uh, Spring cleaning must be such a pain in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. But it's all uh, good. Yeah. We have another question from Ruanga. Uh, hi, guys. What would be more memorable for Aviva? Authenticity or eye-catching visuals? Mm. Hmm. Um, I mean, hopefully, it's both of those things combined, because that's really the magic. Um, but sometimes there's something about authenticity that is really like it really speaks to your soul and it doesn't mean that it has to be like a really big grand fancy thing um like i love it like if you take stranger things for example the billy, how- billy, sorry, to, sorry to interject but billy's like historical accuracy he's all about historical accuracy <laughs> i'm sure he shout is out, shout out to billy uh for you know this connection actually. Uh, I know Whitney through Billy from Florida. And yeah, that's that's a whole other story. We'll get into that sometime later. Oh, Please thing. continue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but um, like Will's house and his family's house, like I love the simplicity. I love that I can feel the grit and the texture, you know, in yep. the couch, like in the walls. You know, there's something that, um, that I love about um, really experiencing an environment, whether it's like big fancy or just completely destroyed and bombed out, you know, like I, I enjoy feeling that. So to me, anything can be eye catching, whether it's, you know, um, something that's destroyed or not. So I, I personally like to lean authentic um, I like the spaces to feel lived in and like it is, we just walked into someone's real life space. Sure. Um, yeah. I enjoy that. 
because also hopefully that is eye catching as well. Definitely, because it's it's kind of like uh, you know you have let's say a, maybe a sword or something, and it belongs to a warrior. Just an example. Most of the time, you're gonna come across it like in the middle of the story, and definitely he's probably used before. So it's not maybe gonna be a shop or like that's definitely gonna be signs of wearing or usage on it, and I think that lends to the authenticity more. Would mm -hmm. you say? Yep. And then sometimes you just you're not gonna have it all, so sometimes you just have to make do with what you have as well. So True. that also has to be like from the audience perspective. Sometimes it's just not always gonna happen how you would mm -hmm. like it to. So for one reason or another, it can be a thing. So, but yeah, which we try, we do. We try. <laughs> Sometimes that's, it just... that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. One more question. Uh, please explain how important is pro uh, production design for post-production color grading. That, that's a good question. What do you think about that? Because I mean, uh, the, the look of a film, is it? Uh, like I know that the cinematographer and the colorist they decide on this as well. But how involved is the production design department? Because uh, with recent production that I've done, I've realized that you know production design plays a major role. Like what colors you use, like how you build the set, all, all that stuff. What do you think uh, about it? I think the it's important for cinematographer, director, whoever is making those decisions in post to be in on it early in mm -hmm. the, in the pre-production aspect. If they want to make it, um, if they want it to be like a much darker feeling thing, then, um, but you still want to see some color, we need to know that ahead of time to not choose that color initially. Cause then later it's only going to be just blacked out, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, so it's important to know how you want it to look later and to express that early enough in the process so that sure. our department can make choices on color texture um, and working with cinematography on how it's going to get lit, you know? So that's, it's important, but also it has to be talked about like way ahead of time. If it's already in post-production, it's too late to talk that thing and you just have to work with what you have so yeah hopefully so the earlier you start the, the better off uh, everyone's gonna get along and uh, the vision's gonna get realized easy as well mm -hmm. yeah how does a production designer work with a team of artists all with their own subjective preferences and styles does a good story unify the team in their enthusiasm tough one uh, <laughs> yeah sometimes um I think it does unify the team. Um, but also, mm -hmm. while a lot of us have our own personal preferences, we also know that our preferences don't matter, technically, in the grand scheme of the things. It's like the production <laughs> designers ultimately making that decision. And above them, ultimately, directors and producers sometimes. So, um, so I think most artists have a pretty good um, balance of knowing this is what I like and what I lean toward. And if I put it in here and it doesn't get received well in this instance, that's okay. Um, I think you have to have a little bit of like separation from your work sometimes and your personal preferences. 
Um, I am sometimes bad at that, <laughs> but because um, I have a few car commercials that have come to my head of being like, I just don't understand why they don't like this bag that I picked out for them. It's so good. But like, <laughs> hey, they have their own style. I need to let them. Okay, it's fine. It's fine that they didn't choose my bag or this bag that I liked more. So, um, so yeah. So on like bigger projects, we know that it has to be collaborative. There's too many people, there's too many moving pieces and um, we all want it to be good, you know, regardless of how it looks, you know, regardless of whose idea it was, we all want it. Um, I think that, that sure comes with the experience and learning to collaborate with others is that sometimes, you know, your personal style isn't going to be well received, but that's okay because it might be well received on thing. Yeah. But uh, what if you really want to convince uh, people about the hierarchy that this is a good idea, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a better idea than what they have. Does that ever happen? Like how successful is that? Um, it is done many times tactfully trying to be like, mm -hmm. okay, but here's this thing that's like really great. So it just, it depends on the people. It depends on their, it just collaborating with people is hard, but it's also really great sometimes. So sometimes they just don't like it and they can't explain why. And you just have to be like, okay, fine. I will come up with something else. So sometimes it's frustrating, but we're all trying, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to make something good here. So and end of the day, it's it's all about the film, which is, you know, bigger than you, bigger than everybody else combined. So Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh there's one more question. How many experts uh, are you working with usually? Of course, based on the movie, like period film. So I think we kind of discussed this as well. Like Yeah, um, sometimes we're not um it just depends. I feel like most of my projects that I have worked on on bigger films where we have like the budget to work with experts, um, we only have like one or two and we only ask them as more of like um, consulting type things. They're not super actively involved unless we kind of reach out and say like, hey, here's this thing. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times we are doing everything that we can to kind of become our own experts, um, making sure our information is correct and accurate when it needs to be. Um, but typically we're not, um, we're not solely relying on an expert to like guide us every step of the way. Sure. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, because sometimes like uh, their opinion might clash with the creative side of things when it comes to the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I have one more question for actually two more questions uh, from people who weren't able to join today. So one is, uh, I think something that uh, even me personally, something that I want to know, how much can you dish out about Shang-Chi? Literally nothing. Sorry. <laughs> Guys, she, there, she's putting the same card she there, pulled on me back when she did Godzilla. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can't say much. 
Um, I also, I'm not still working on it. Like I only worked on the project for a couple weeks last year. Mm -hmm. So it's very much okay. well into, it should be, well, who knows what the virus is happening, but it was in production um, mm -hmm. already. So, so I can't tell you anything other than that. Sorry guys. We can do another, Have you read the screenplay, another though? couple years. What? Have you read the screenplay though? No. I wasn't able to. Okay. So, no. And that happens sometimes where they don't share everything, especially on that big of a thing. They keep, um, they keep that info to only those who really need to know it. So. Sure. So, yeah. NDAs are a thing. Scene, yeah, sorry. Go on. Sorry. I, you, you're saying oh. something. I was just going to say non-disclosure agreements, NDAs. They mm -hmm. are a thing. They are yeah. a contract. Often. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> if a particular scene doesn't seem very interesting, what can be done by the production designer to improve upon it? Hmm. Hmm. That's a that's sort of a hard one to answer because depends on the story and the characters. Um. Uh, I don't. Is it entirely the production designer's uh, job, though? I mean, that's what I feel is like. There's only so much that you guys can do. It's about I don't know. It's the scene itself, right? Like how how the story flows in that particular scene, or I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Um. Man, if a scene isn't particularly interesting, story-wise, why is it even there? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, unless it's to give like some like really crucial info for later, maybe it doesn't need to be there. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I I'm sorry. I feel like I can't answer that because it's so. I feel like it's really specific, but also very general. Um, mm -hmm. But it's one of those questions. if you can, you know, make it, make it as pretty as you can or as ugly as you can, whatever it calls for, just like go a little extra with it to help make it seem different or more intense of the feelings. You know, if it's, um, if it's supposed to be, a dramatic scene maybe there's something in the background or part of the environment or a prop that they're holding that can help lend to some intensity you know whether it's someone holding a knife they're just holding it but like maybe that helps add more to it i don't know i'm sorry i'm doing a terrible job of answering this question <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough question it's definitely you a can, tough question if you, have, if you have a really specific thing in mind hit me up and I will like answer it more specifically later. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if anybody wants to contact you regarding production design, can they do so? Uh, yeah. Um, maybe the easiest is Instagram here because you guys already have my handle here. Um, and my account here is not really about my work. Um, this is definitely a fun, creative hobby for me. But it also, 
I am like production designing my photos, basically. Exactly. So. Uh, could you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that? Because uh, it's 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 all about vintage uh, costumes, right there. So yeah, I mean that's something that I personally love. Like I love vintage. I love historical. Um, I've been doing like my own costuming. I don't want to do it professionally because that is really hard. <laughs> I <laughs> can barely do my own things, so I don't want to have that pressure to like for other people but it is great fun to do it for myself and I love um I love creating worlds on film but I also love experiencing worlds in person so I love going to historical events and sort of being in the costume and being immersed in a space where other people are um because I love stepping back into sure. what life might have been like in that kind of moment and in that setting And I always learn something about the human experience in general every time I do it. So I really love doing that. So I also love my photos to sort of show that immersiveness sometimes. So brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the, the questions keep coming, but guys, we're going to have to wrap it up because you got to keep this under one hour or I won't be able to uh, upload this to IGTV, which would suck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, my cinematographer himself, he is asking, which was, uh, oh, question vanished, which was the hardest problem you had to solve on a set? <laughs> Gosh, like everything is hard to solve on set. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll give an example of my most one of my most recent things um where i was actually production designer and i only had <laughs> i was production designer and costume designer on it and i had one person helping me on each side of things so there was like a team of three of us yeah. doing all of it um and the we were still in process of building and creating the sets we had the one half done that we knew was up first for shooting so that while they were shooting that we can be working on the other side of the set. And then they were like, Oh, JK, like we're going to shoot like this tracking shot through the <laughs> entire thing. And I was like, um, I'm sorry, do you not see the state of this other set? And there's only two of us working on it right now. Like it's kind of not going to happen. But then they're like, Oh, just can we It's <laughs> like, Um, if you want to sacrifice a couple hours of your shooting day, I guess, and like trying to get the rest of the crew to join in and help me finish painting, finish laying down flooring, putting up curtains. Like, I mean, it was, it was a little insane. So That's um, there's always problems. There's always new problems coming. But the biggest thing is to be like solution oriented and not so like stuck or set, whether it's you are the one that has to do it or you're doing the asking of being flexible, being solution oriented, being, sure. um, you know, able to go with the flow because you're, that's a really important skill to have in filmmaking in general, because there's always going to be something that happens. Definitely. Planned 100%. or unplanned. Yeah. <laughs> always happens. <laughs> yeah. All right. Final question. Uh, we got three minutes on the clock. How does someone become a production designer? Real quick. Ooh, okay. Um, well, I was in film school already when I learned that, when I learned for myself that I wanted to do production design. Um, so 
a lot of it was just me getting projects and experimenting. There wasn't a lot of people who wanted to be a production designer or in the art department. So I was asked all the time to be part of it. And so just be me working on projects, I started to learn a lot more. Um, eventually I went to grad school at the American Film Institute Conservatory um, and learned like real actual, you know, how technical things <laughs> of how things are done. But if you just want to get started, just try to get involved on some student films or some low budget films and just learning on the job is really great. You'll learn a lot. <laughs> so that's like maybe some beginner steps to that process with, so let's wrap this up so you can post it. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, if you couldn't uh, catch the entire uh, conversation, it's going to be uploaded on IGTV and uh, yeah, Whitney, thank you so much for sharing your invaluable knowledge. Uh, anyone who wants to contact her, you can do so through Instagram. So go follow her, go uh, follow my account because we are going to be continuing this uh, every single week. We're going to be bringing on new guests. And uh, that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much again, Whitney. I look forward to seeing you soon. And thanks for all the great questions, guys. It was so great. All good. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.